0: Looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Well, today we're going to launch a brand new series and we're going to be calling it Living Free. Now, I look forward to the time when the Lord might prompt me to teach through the book of Romans. But for now, the Lord has very clearly had me teach through the book of Romans chapter 8. And so in the coming weeks, I would like to open up this chapter. It's a great chapter on living free. I'm often thinking of the times of those of you that lived on our island and all of you have your favorite place on our island but one of the favorite places I guess is because we live on in East Oahu that we like going around the south side of the island and then as you know you go by beautiful Hanama Bay and you swing around and then you drive a little bit past Sandy Beach and it gets kind of dry and arid again and you're kind of going up this ridge, up this hill knowing that over to the right is the Makabu Lighthouse and then you know soon you're going to get up to the top and then you're going to look down on this beautiful of the Pacific Ocean with multiple colors of blue and rabbit island out there. And then off in the distance, you see Waimanalo Beach, the longest white sand beach in the entire state. And after you get through all of that and you see up there how beautiful it must be. It also reminds me of our immigrants who came to the United States, how they might have come in the early 1900s on this long, arduous trip that they had to go through. They had to travel in in this ship and then finally to get into beautiful, calm New York Harbor. And then standing and strutting up right outside of that harbor is the Statue of Liberty, rising above all else, knowing that they've come to America to have their freedom there. How beautiful that must be. Well, for those of you that have read through and studied the book of Romans, you know that Romans chapter 1 through chapter 7, it talks a lot about important truths, and those truths sometimes can be a little bit depressing. Early on, it talks about how that we're sinners and that we're separated from God for all eternity and we'll spend eternity separated. And that the purpose of the law is not to save us, but to point us to Christ, but to also reveal how much of a sinner that we are. And then even in our Christian life, if we try to do good, we don't do good because we still do bad and we have this conflict going on. And then all of a sudden we get to chapter 8 and it's like coming up over the ridge and seeing the beautiful water or seeing the Statue of Liberty where now we can focus on who Jesus Christ is. Those of you who have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them up to Romans now, Romans chapter 8. And for today, we're just going to cover the first four verses. So whatever translation you have, I hope it's a good one so you can follow along. And if it is your Bible, let me encourage you to use your Bible. You can use the sermon notes if you'd like or even look it up on the screen. But if you have your Bible, you can mark in it. So as you read through your Bible, it'll remind you of the things that you've learned here today. I am so excited because the truths that you're going to learn in the weeks to come in Romans chapter 8 are the truths that can literally change your life from the inside out. Let me read to you verses 1 through 4. But as I read, I'd like you to hear a subliminal truth that's all found in this, and it's going to be the Trinity. Find the Trinity as I read through this passage, and as you find God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, you mark it, and then in your margin you write, the Holy Trinity is all a part of the changed life that we could have, and how this is a beautiful study. Living free with freedom. It begins like this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And then it talks about who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Well... I wanted you to know, for those of you that are new on your journey through the book of Romans, I'll tell you that Romans is often referred to as the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. It was through the reading and hearing of Romans that even Martin Luther came to faith alone in Jesus Christ, a great study. But a lot of people don't know that the book of Romans was not written to those who are outside the faith. It was written for those who are inside the faith. Romans chapter 1, verse 6 identifies that by calling those who are saved the beloved ones, as well as glory, as well as saints who are at Rome. And so it's talking to those who know Christ as Savior. So I want you to know in the weeks to come that I'm going to be teaching this from a perspective of those of you who already know Christ is your Savior. Now, those of you who are here because you're just kind of looking at Christianity, you're kind of looking through the windows and seeing what are Christians like and what do they really believe. I want to invite you in and we open up our windows wide and I try to make it clear for you to understand, but this is a message for those who know Christ as Savior and all these truths are waiting for you. They're all out there cooked and ready for you to eat, but you now have to respond to the Spirit's prompting and trust Christ and come in for this meal. But for just a moment, I'd like to talk to you about these great truths because they could help us that know Christ as Savior. So let me find out how many of you are positive that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. Would you raise your hand by faith alone? Well, that's a good group over here. And so I'm speaking to you today. And so if you will, you might want to take out your notes because I want to give you an overview of where we're going to be going in the weeks to come so you'll have an understanding of where we're at. I did it by a little boxer. I picked it up from another Bible teacher and I've added some things and I've kind of clarified it a little bit so it's a little bit of everybody in on it. But let's look at it for a moment. As a Christian, sometimes even though we've trusted Christ as Savior, have you ever felt... I'm just no good. Has there been a time in your life when you've done some things, even as a believer in Christ, you're ashamed of and you feel like, I am just no good, and God is angry at me. God is rejecting me. I don't have any more blessings. Basically, I believe I probably have lost my salvation. Well, God says there's no condemnation, and we have freedom. Now, that is what we're going to talk about in a few minutes just for today. And then when we meet again, we're going to talk about the feeling that you might have when you say, I'm never going to change as a believer. I want to change. I know what God wants out of me. And I try, but the harder I go, the behinder I get. And so maybe that might be you, and you're just feeling like, I'm never going to change, but I want to. I want to be like these growing Christians Well, God says there's no domination, meaning that that sinful habit that you have does not have to have the dominion over you that you think it has because he says that we can have victory and in the context of what we read here, it's in Jesus Christ. And then some of you might be saying, my life is falling apart. It says, I thought when I trusted Christ, everything was going to go much better for me. But since I've trusted Christ, I'm finding that my life is as bad or worse than it was before. Not so much sin in my life now, but just things just keep going wrong. And you look over your finances, your health, your family, relationships. Things are crumbling all around you. God says in Romans 8, there's no need for desperation. You do not need to feel desperate that your whole life is falling apart because we have expectancy and you might want to put the word hope in your margin there because in Christ there is hope. It is not about this life. It is the promise of a next life that you're going to have in heaven and the promise of Christ in your life now. You might feel that there is no future for you maybe. Maybe that's where you're feeling right now. You're saying, you know, it looks just as dark in front of me as it does right now. I want you to know that God says there's no separation, no matter how dark it might appear. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be in your life. I am the great I am, and all my attributes are partnered with you in your life right now. You have access to that. So God says there's no separation. So we can have security. And I like the word security because some of you might know you could have security, but I want you to go further than that. I want you to have the assurance of Security. So we're going to talk about that in your life so that you could know as a Christian with the Lord, you have no condemnation, no domination, no desperation, no separation. We will have freedom, victory, hope and assurance in our life. So this is going to be a wonderful study. I know that it's going to be deeper than what I've been teaching the last few years here because I know that Romans has some great truths in it. It's good for us to know. But I'm going to do the best I can to make it clear so you could understand it. So use it, take the notes, and share it with your kids. When they come up and say, I'm just no good and never going to change in my life and I have no future. When they start whining, and as I heard this week, they're on the wine train. If they're on the wine train, then you come alongside them and you show them Romans 8, because I believe God's truth can be made simple enough for even children to understand, especially if they know Christ as their Savior, because the great teacher, the Holy Spirit, is inside of them. Well, today there's just two main points. If you can own these, then you will understand that you are good in Christ, and there is no condemnation, and you have freedom as a Christian. So here's number one. You need to believe God's promise. Now, obviously, our whole Christian life begins with faith. We put our faith in Christ, the one who died. We walk by faith. And so our whole life is that. But when God speaks to us, he's speaking to us as a God who cannot lie, that he makes promises to us so that he can prove to us that he is who he is, that he has the power to make and keep a promise. And one of the great promises is found in verse 1. Would you read it out loud with me? Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'd certainly like for you to read that for those of you that have been saved a long time, almost for the very first time. I'd like you to own that verse. I want you to know it because doctrinally it's the very thing that will secure you forever in God's forever family and give you a home in heaven. But at the same time, when you have those feelings that you've condemned, you've blown it so badly that there's no more hope for you. I want you to know that as a Christian... There is now no more condemnation. What is interesting, that phrase therefore means that there's something therefore based on a previous truth. That concept is a little heavy now, is found at least two significant times, Romans 3 and Romans 8. And both of them are surrounding the truth of being condemned. The first one says that no matter how bad you are, you are condemned as a sinner before you trusted Christ as your Savior. And therefore... There is no hope for you to get into heaven as a sinner if you rely upon keeping the law. And the law in the context would be the religious law of the Old Testament. But it could be spreading out to talk about any type of social good deeds. So that therefore says that you're a sinner and therefore there's nothing you can do yourself in order for you to get into heaven. That's an important therefore because before we get to the next therefore, unless you come to the point that you see yourself so hopelessly lost, so hopelessly doomed, so hopelessly condemned that there's nothing you can do of yourself, then the rest of this truth won't have the impact. But when you finally kind of throw it up as a person outside the faith and say, man, I'll never make it by myself, then you want to read Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that now says to you, and reminding us who are believers, this, and I'll read it again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are not keeping the law, but those who are now in Christ. Now I need you to track with me during this message because in a few minutes I'm going to explain to you what does it mean to be in Christ and how do you get in Christ so then there will be for you now no condemnation forever and ever and ever. So there's no fear of death and when you blow it in this life, that's all right because God is a forgiver of you in this particular life. So let me first of all explain what it does not mean when it says no condemnation. It doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes. So let's ask this question. How many of you are blood-bought, born-again believers in Christ, and you could look back where you have stepped out of bounds in your walk with God? Not it wasn't an uh-oh or a boo-boo. It was an actual sin. Would you raise your hand? Great. Now, if we will, we're going to pass the microphone around now. and Tell us what that was. No, 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 no. But we've all been there. And so it's not saying we've never sinned, we've never failed, we've never had a mistake. We all have done that. But even when we've done that, the Bible still says, when I am in Christ, there's now no more condemnation. Now, I want to say this a couple of times because some of you will shut off if you don't hear what I'm saying. The scripture clearly says that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ even when you sin afterwards. That does not mean that you can go out and live as you please. It does mean that you won't lose your salvation. It does mean that God is not going to be angry with you, that you will not be rejected. But I do want you to know that the doctrine of the eternal security of the believer, now there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, must be taught with the doctrine of the discipline of a believer who now does step out of bounds in their life, where God chooses then to give us a spanking in our life. He doesn't take away our salvation, but he reminds us that he is our God, but also our heavenly Abba, Father, who will now take us and through love discipline us to do right, to get us back into bounds so now we can have the life that we really want to have, a life of the fullness of God and a guiltless life. So let me go back now and answer the question, a bigger question now, what does it mean that God will not condemn us? Because some of you are saying, okay, what does it mean he won't condemn us? Right here is number one. That means God does not punish me. As a believer. Now again, this message is specifically for believers because that's how Romans is written, to those that know Christ as Savior. Oh, again, so God does not punish me as a believer. Let me read to you Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. It goes like this. He, God, does not punish us according to our sins as a believer in Christ, nor repay us according to our iniquities as a believer in Christ. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. God doesn't punish us. Let's look up here for a moment. If you really want to have a conversation with your kids, that's almost a conversation you couldn't answer. I don't even think physicists could answer that. And that is this. How far is the east from the west? Well, that's exactly how far our sins are removed from us. Other passages of Scripture says that because we're not condemned, it's because of this, that he's taken our sins and he cast them into God's sea of forgiveness. His blood so covered all of our sins and then washed it away that he gave us a full forgiveness of all sin, Colossians 2.13. So again, all over Scripture, God says, to those that know Christ, he will not punish us. He is not mad at us. He will discipline us. And there's a big difference between being punished and being disciplined. Let me explain to you what a punishment would be. And young people that might be listening to me here or maybe on radio or listening to this CD as a family in your Bible study, let me make this clear. I don't know exactly all the motives of how your mom and dad treated you at a time that you have had an infraction or you disobeyed them. But I believe that your mom and dad more than likely love you with all of their heart. They truly do. And perhaps they might have stepped over the bounds in how they disciplined you, but I believe their heart was right. And so what I'd like to do is to let you know that this is the difference between punishing and disciplining. Punishing often is because of what that child has done to the parent. In other words, you did this wrong. You messed up my life. You caused me problems. Look at how my life is different. My money, my schedule, it's all about the parent. And now the parent is angry over that. And he takes out that anger because of what that child did to his world. And he unleashes that wrath on the child. That's punishment, all right? The difference is discipline. Discipline is different not only because it's translated from a Greek word that means trained by love, so it has no idea of punishment in it, but all through Scripture when it talks about discipline, it's the same thing. I discipline because I love you. I am now training you when you step out of bounds. I am coaching you, yes, because of your rebellion quite firmly at times. But as I do that, my whole purpose is so that you will be all that God wants you to be. So I am trying to bring you back underneath the full blessing of God. That's what a parent will do. Now, in the context of Scripture, when we do something wrong, God does not punish us. Now, look up here on the cross up behind me. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, all the punishment for our sin was unleashed upon Christ because he was a sinner. Not, excuse me, because we were sinners and he took all our sin on himself. And so what happens then is when he died, he suffered all of our punishment, so to speak, on the cross so that we could have eternal life. Now once we're in his family, we're born again. He's our father, and he says, now I'm going to discipline you. I sometimes look at this as, a, as those of you that might be a shepherd. some, And if you were a shepherd and you saw your sheep kind of wander, and you're looking for your sheep and you find them caught in a thicket somewhere, what would you do with that sheep? You wouldn't kick that sheep, would you? you'd be a little bit disappointed. The sheep got away, but you'd let loose of that sheep. And while you did it, it might scratch the sheep a little bit. It might be uncomfortable as you're trying to release that sheep from being caught in the thicket to be able to release that sheep to come back to the flock again. But you wouldn't kill the sheep. You wouldn't eat the sheep. You wouldn't get rid of the sheep. You wouldn't sell the sheep. You wouldn't beat the sheep. But what you would do is release the sheep from the bondage it was in because it wandered. And that's really what God is trying to do to us. So that's the difference between punishment and discipline. God says, I'm not punishing you. Your sins are already forgiven and paid for on the cross. Now what I'm doing is disciplining you. Here's the second thing. Why he doesn't punish us is because God is not angry with us. I've said that a couple of times, but look at the passage in verses 13 and 14 of Psalm 103. It says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are, what's that word? Dust. He knows our frailty. He knows the propensity for us to walk outside the lines. And he says, I love you. I really care for you. So I'm not going to be angry with you. How many of you sometimes lived your life maybe earlier on and you got a little more teaching, but before then you thought that when you sinned, there was a lightning bolt that would come down on you. And I don't mean a literal one, but you just felt like, as soon as I step over the lines, I'm going to suffer the wrath of God and he's going to hammer me. Some of that has come because of incorrect Bible teaching. Some of that has come because you might have had an authority figure in your life, whether it was a mother or a father who is very strong and dominant in their personality, that when you did step over the line, ignorantly or willfully, that they came down on you so heavily. So you now have transferred your thinking that every authority figure must be mean and angry when we do something wrong. And so now we're so afraid that we live under this condemnation. I'll never make it. I've got to be so perfect. And what's going to happen if I don't? That we almost give up trying. We almost give up trying to walk with the Lord any longer. We finally just say, you know what? This life is no different than the other. And we walk away from it only to unleash more of God's discipline in our life. God doesn't hate you. Maybe what you could think of is that God doesn't unleash a lightning bolt on you. What he unleashes is his ever-loving arms to come around you and says, I love you so much, and I love you so much, and I'm going to pull you up close. I'm going to pull you away from where you were drifting because I love you that much. So God is not angry with us. Number three, God does not reject us. I like this as it's said in the NIV version, Psalm 94, 14. It says this, For the Lord will not reject His people, he will never forsake his inheritance. Have any of you been rejected? I don't raise your hand, but have you ever experienced some form of rejection? There could be some of you that are wrestling with the fact that you're adopted right now. This goes all over the world on our internet, this goes on radio here and other islands. So it's quite probable with statistics that there are some that have been adopted. And somewhere across the line, they might begin to think, you know what, I'm so grateful I've been accepted in this family, but that is a result of me being rejected or displaced from this family. And so you're wrestling with this inner tension, I've been rejected, I've been accepted, etc. And so you're going through that. And perhaps you might need to have someone who loves you to come alongside you to help you to rethink and to sort all of that out so that you can have rest in your mind and peace. But until then, here's what you can rest on, and that's the very promise of God that he says, no matter what happened to you, permission or prescription, he said, I loved you, I released you, I put you in a situation that you are far better now than you were before, and he says, I will never, two words, reject, forsake in one verse, I will never reject you. There's highly more statistics of people listening to me now that have gone through a very painful divorce where that you have, are the result of someone who rejected their marital vows and then essentially they rejected you. Whether they walked out totally and divorced you or they had an emotional affair and so you're dealing with this, man, is there something wrong with me? I've been rejected. Well, obviously that's a normal thing to look at myself. Is there something I did? Could I have done this better, etc.? And we use these as life lessons to maybe work on some things. But on the other side of it, we don't have to hang our head down, give up and go to drink or drugs to say, I'm so rejected, I'll never make it in this world. It's at the time that we say, you know what? No matter what man may do to me, I do not fear man because I know that God will never leave me nor forsake me. So I am not rejected. I live in freedom. I am not under the bondage of what other people might think or say about me because I am free in him. So I am not rejected. There is no condemnation of those who are in Christ and how beautiful that is. And now let's go to number four. It also means that God does not keep his blessings from me. I especially like Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 that says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places that I am blessed in Christ. Now, Sometimes what we would do, we need to do, is to look at the term blessing and not define it by the world standard. Sometimes we think if we're blessed, if we have a good marriage or we have good kids or we have a good job or we have good health or our investments are going uh, north instead of south and things are just good. And so we're blessed. Now we can say God blessed us with all of that. But do you know that God could take away relationships? He could take away your health. He could take away some of your finances. He could take away and scramble up your world. But even when that's the case, the ultimate blessing we want to praise God for is not the earthly temporal blessings that sometimes are underneath whatever the world can do to them. But we are underneath God's eternal blessings that I am so blessed to know that I have instant access to a God who will never reject me. He will never punish me. He'll never leave me, that I have this God. And that's the kind of blessing that I have with the Lord. Now watch, watch. When I step out of bounds and I begin beating up on myself, God will never withhold his blessings of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly. He will never stop loving you. He'll never stop his grace. He'll never stop his mercy. He'll never stop his care, his sovereignty, his goodness, his kindness. Now he may do some things to uh, spank us, we talked about. Not punish us, discipline us, but it's all underneath his sovereign love to bring us back to him again so he'll never stop his blessings. He'll continually give those blessings. And oh, how special that is. I think maybe an illustration might help. Um, If you go to a luau and you eat at your luau and all this food is now in front of you on your plate and you took some of that food and you threw it on the ground, that would really disappoint the cook. It'd disappoint me if I saw you do that, if I was the cook or I provided that luau for you, it might really bother me. But I have to tell you, it'll grieve the Lord, but God will never say to you, look what you did with the blessing of food I've given to you. Therefore, get away from my table. Get out of my family. Spend eternity separated from me. He says, no, even though you've done things wrong as a believer, he says, you're still underneath my blessings. Now, please do not think, again, that just because we trust Christ, we can go and live as we please. God says, I will discipline you, but I will never, ever, ever, ever cast you out.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.